Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. It's a faith and family edition of the program. I'm going to talk about family. I'm going to talk about the duty, duties of parents. I'm also going to share with you an insight that I had back in the late 90s and I was considering it the theme of the third millennium. And I'm wondering if I'm right. Uh, well, be that as it may, I'm also going to share with you a humbling thing that Carrie shared with me about us. A humbling thing Carrie shared with me about us. Oh, it's it's sad. But I'll tell you about that in a minute on Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Hey, welcome back to the program. It is great to be with you. Let's begin with the prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I love you, I thank you, and I praise you for the gift of another day, for the gift of faith, for the gift of family. Lord, I pray for all of those that are struggling right now in their family relationships between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between children and parents, and any other relationship that extends through that. Lord, I just ask for grace, I ask for mercy, I ask for wisdom and guidance, Lord, that we seek you, we look to you, we open ourselves to you, and we say, come and bless. Bless us because, Father, you are our good and loving Father. Lord, give us the grace to recognize and to take action, to take action that we would grow in holiness and not settle for less. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll start off with a couple of, uh, you know, kind of a humbling stories, maybe a little embarrassing. It's, I don't want to be one of those parents. Uh, one of those parents, Carrie and I, we tend to, I don't know if the words mock, or I wish I could say we just felt bad for parents who uh, are connected to, to sports teams. And I, I don't want to be one of those one of those dads, but I was, unfortunately, uh, Thursday night, I was at a volleyball game with my uh, eighth daughter, my eighth child, my seventh daughter, no, sixth daughter, <laughs> get these numbers right, Luciana playing volleyball at the Oaks Junior High game, it was fun, afterwards I was talking to a couple of dads, and we started to talk about my next older daughter, Annalise, and about basketball season. And before I knew it, I became one of those dads that was bragging and talking about his daughter and how good she was. And, and didn't say it like that, but just telling a story in a way that, and I was just like, okay, what am I doing? I, I don't like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that that came out of me. I, I try to stay set within myself and not become one of those dads that goes on and on about how good her daughter is or her son is. 
oh, his son is about sports. The other thing that uh, I was mentioning that Carrie and I kind of like shake our head at is something that we did at one point, and then we realized, what are we doing? I should say, shouldn't say we, I should say Carrie realized it, and that was, we go to our kids' practice, and we're there the whole time watching our kid practice. And it's hard to wrap your head around this when you're in the middle of it, especially when you see your kid's got the gift. Well, my kid's gifted. Does the coach see how gifted my kid is? Do, Do the other parents realize how gifted my kid is? Oh, I realize how gifted my kid is. And it it can manifest itself in this sense of just, I'm going to be there the whole time at my kid's practice until Carrie, she helped me put it into perspective. She's like, you do realize, well, we parents are sitting here on the side of a field watching our kid kick a ball around, kick a ball into a net or hit a ball over a net or shoot a ball into a net or throw a ball and a ball's caught by someone else. (laughs) It's just like, do you, is is this really what we ought to be doing with our time? Is this really what we ought to be doing with our energy, our life energy? And uh, I, it was, it was a, it was sort of a, like, look in the mirror and say, how are you spending your time? What are you doing? And it's, it's becoming aware, a little bit more aware of uh, what does that say about what's important? What does that say about what we become aware, what, what we are uh, conscious of in terms of how our life is unfolding? So since then, the then is probably, I don't know, five years ago, I have gradually pulled myself away or stepped away but floated back into that sense of, okay, you got to be conscious just stay within yourself. It's just a game. And your kid is is your kid and you can love your kid. But boy, don't brag. That's just, it's a, it's a humbling, it's, it's not a life-giving thing to do that. It, it just doesn't bring joy around you to the other, to the other parents you're talking to. You don't want to become one of those parents, right? Okay, so this, this is actually all a prelude to what Carrie said to me. Oh no, we're becoming like one of those couples. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, you know, last week we were at that social gathering and you said something to me that didn't strike you as like inappropriate, as out of place, as impolite. And it was, it was not gracious it, it wasn't marked by a, a generous making space for me to, you know, be where I was at or to say what I said. Now, Carrie doesn't talk like that. I'm <laughs> characterizing what she was conveying to me. And uh, what she said was, I don't think you realized how that came across to the people that were with us. And that was the point. <laughs> the point was that Carrie and I would go to social events and afterwards we would end up saying to each other, did you see how that couple treated each other? How he talked to her, how she talked to him, how they interacted and, and how ugly it was or how sad it was or how inappropriate it was. Not in a, like a, a super 
terrible way, but it just wasn't kind. It was, it was mean. It was, didn't come across as very loving. It came across as harsh or, or derogatory or downputting, right? All those types of attitudes that when we are in our own homes, in our own um, like safe place where we interrelate, sometimes those attitudes are more prevalent and, and they can show up. And typically people have an awareness of saying, when I'm in public, I'm not going to interact like that. So this wasn't a big deal. It wasn't even a, a long thing, but it was, uh-oh, Tom, I think we've, we're becoming one of those couples. <laughs> one of those couples where it's, uh, are, are we really aware of how we are coming across when, or how you came across to them when you said something to me that was dismissive? Or, or put me down a bit. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize it. That's the point. I didn't even realize it. And yet, today on the program, I'm going to dig into what we can do to come to realize it, and what we can do to not settle for it, and what we can do to grow in grace, what we can do to continue to advance in our relationship and not settle for less, and not become one of those couples that, in a public setting, we're, we're, we end up being a counter sign. We're not giving off light. We're not giving off the radiance of a union, a communion that we share in a more profound and intimate way in our own home. And so, it's it, it's actually. Today, I'm going to talk about what the Catechism of the Catholic Church has to say about families. Now, there's way too much to cover here, but in this Faith and Family Friday program, I want to allow the Church's teaching to serve up to us some insights to help guide you and me, and I'm talking me today, to recover the, the richness and the depth of the call that is mine and yours, if you're married, or if you're called to marriage, the, the, the depths that, that we're called to, and not to settle for being harsh or demeaning, belittling or unkind, dismissive or derogatory. No, 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 no. No room for that stuff. Those are things that are going to diminish or damage or break this communion of persons. There's that phrase again. I'm going to use that phrase because the Catechism of the Catholic Church uses that phrase in bringing out what the Church teaches about what it means to be a family, a Christian family, a family in faith, a family in whom the Spirit of God dwells in the members. The graces and gifts of baptism and the sacraments are at work. We're called to a union with each other, a communing together, that is going to be marked by life and love. That we'll be loving each other in a way that helps us be unbound and set free. That allows us to experience the dignity that is ours, the preciousness that is ours. The, there, uh, above all places in our home, that's the place, and, and not just in our home, in our most intimate and profound foundational relationships, where we make space for each other, we welcome each other, we're open to each other, we're gentle with each other, 
There's a tenderness that is expressed in our relationships. And that's what I want to aim towards. That's what I want to have as my goal. Not the other stuff. And I think at times we can just go with the flow. Go with the flow. So we're with the flow and, and all of a sudden, well, there we are. We're back on the sidelines again with all the other parents watching our kids practice. <laughs> Before or after a game, we're, we're applauding and, and bragging about our kids in a way that just, you have no idea how you're coming across right now. Or, and again, those things are, are I don't know, those things are maybe you know minor, but in the more public settings, what, what do we radiate? How does our relationship radiate among those that we interact. And I'm not talking about putting up a facade. I'm not talking about being false. I am talking about striving to live your ideal even though it's not yet fully real. I am saying that you strive to live in accord with the highest levels of godliness when you are in a public setting, even though you realize that I do fall short of that in my own private sphere, in my own home, but I'm not going to settle for that. I want to grow and mature. I want to continue to advance. And so that's what we're digging into today. Come on, God has called you to be a radiant witness. God has given you graces to flourish in your relationships. And I'm going to connect family to one of the most desperate needs our time has. One of the most desperate needs our time, this moment in which we live has, is a recovery of trustful openness and a diminishment of hostile mistrust and a willful mischaracterization and a prejudicial hostility towards each other. Whoa, those are some big phrases. If, if I think you know what I'm saying when I talk about the negative things that are happening in our wider society today. Our wider society is marked by manifest division, outright incapacity to have a dialogue. There's, when I say a dialogue, I mean a willingness to be open to each other and to that which you hold as precious and true and good and beautiful. I want to be open to hear you and what you embrace as so fundamentally important and I hope that you'll be open to receive me and what I have to share. And if we can explore those things together, we just might find that we have some common ground. And on the basis of that common ground, we might be able to address some of the differences. What I just did there was lay out the theology of dialogue as John Paul II broke it open and expanded and, and synthesized it following the Second Vatican Council. I, I said a lot in there. And... I just went through different sort of stages and features of dialogue. And that was because that was my doctoral dissertation. And so uh, after the break, I'm going to come back and I'm going to share with you uh, the sense of unexpected relevance 
of that theme for this moment. When I was in my doctoral program getting this PhD, I had to come up with a theme that I would be researching. I would be researching extensively and have to dive into the depths. And so I, I needed to choose a theme that was narrow enough for a dissertation and yet had enough content to it that it was worthy of being considered a dissertation. And the theme I came up with was the Trinitarian Foundation of Interreligious Dialogue in Selected Writings of Pope John Paul II. All right, what does all that mean? I'll tell you in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. All right, welcome back to the program. What makes it possible for people who believe in different religions, who adhere to different religious systems and profess those religious systems, even though they are traced back to fundamentally different starting points, what's the basis for members of different religions to be able to talk together and work together? What's the basis for dialogue and collaboration among members of different religions? John Paul II brought about an advancement of the Church's teaching after the Second Vatican Council, rooted in his own philosophical and then based on that theological understanding of the human person. And he gives an answer. What's the basis for dialogue? Interreligious dialogue, it's called. He said that there's a Trinitarian foundation for it. The very capacity for members of different religions to be able to talk together is the fact that, well, they were created in the image of a God who is the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the mystery of the Blessed Trinity is a mystery of three persons in one divine nature. And there is a perfect, infinite, eternal communion of persons. This mysterious communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is so perfect, is so profound, it is so complete that there is one God in three persons. Not three gods, one God in three persons. And we, who were created by God, we were created by God in the image of the Blessed Trinity, which meant and means that you and I, we are not going to fully realize who we are as human beings created in the image of God, in the image of the Trinitarian God. You and I will not realize, it will not come into existence and expression 
who we are as human beings apart from relationships marked by a union with, a communion of persons. One way of saying that is, I need you to be more fully me. I am not complete as an I, as a person, unless I am in relationship with some other person. And not just a relationship, but a relationship that is marked by this sense of mutuality, reciprocity, of openness to each other, of giving and receiving, of confirming and affirming. All of those things mean things. I don't have a chance to dig into them all, but they're beautiful, (laughs) beautiful concepts in John Paul II's writings. And so he talks about the I-thou relationship. The most fundamental form of communion of persons is between one I and another I, the I and the thou. And that I-thou relationship then makes room for others. And so if you have a third, then you have a we relationship where there's the three of us together. Well, all of a sudden now you could start imagining how these concepts build up and it's, oh, if I am created in the image of God, that I am made to be in relationship with others. But what's the fundamental cell of society? What's the fundamental unit of society? How has God constituted us in this world such that we can see a sign of the truth that we as persons are made for relationship and as uh, made in the image of God, that that's where we'll experience a sense of completion and, and realizing the fruitfulness of communion. Well, If we ponder it for a minute, it's that God didn't create us simply as persons, but as embodied persons, as male and female. And oh, wow, all of a sudden now, we build into that layer of the theology of the body, that the body means something inscribed in our reality as human beings is the person with a human nature that is a gendered nature, male and female, and the complementarity, the way in which there's a fittingness together, that when a male and a female come together in an intimate union that is called a conjugal community, that's a family, that's a married life between a man and a woman, a husband husband and a wife, that's a family, a husband and a wife coming together into a conjugal community, a union of love. There's a fittingness to it, and that fittingness can also bear fruit. There's a fruitfulness to that, and that fruitfulness that is hoped for is always a gift. Did you hear yesterday's program? There's that gift that can be given into that union of love. That gift is a child. And so we have an I and a thou that gives rise to the intimacy of that union to a we, a third, the child, and now you have a family, the family as a communion of persons. The church has this incredible teaching about the way in which this family, this husband and wife, this mother, and given the gift of a child, become mother and father of a child, that this gift, when it is lived well, fosters so many of the features that are meant to, listen now, radiate, show the world something about the true nature of God. That when we are in union together, when we're in a relationship that is marked by life and love and truth, then we will realize the goodness that is there. We'll see something beautiful shine forth. And when we bring the Christian perspective into this, all of a sudden, it's more than just beauty, it's glory. 
There's the majesty of the Lord. There's the very reality of the Blessed Trinity in a Christian home that is marked by faith, hope, and love that radiates something that is not just natural, but supernatural. There's something that ought to be at work in our homes that is a supernatural expression of the very life of God that lives in each of us. So the life of God, the life of faith, hope, and love that is alive in you and alive in me, that is something that we're given through baptism, that when we come together in a union of love, there's going to be a knitting together of hearts, a knitting together of minds, and we're going to be able to express and give and receive in our homes things that, homes that are not marked by faith not marked by the gift of divine life, the supernatural life of God, are going to struggle mightily and struggle heroically to overcome. And that's sin. And that's broken relationships. And that's damaging each other through thoughts, words, and deeds, betraying each other by how we speak and live together, by what we avoid. All that negative stuff that I'm talking about, That stuff's at work in human beings because we're broken and we're not yet fully redeemed because we're hurting and we've been hurt. We bring our wounds into our relationships and yet the Lord gives us grace and he gives us mercy. So he gives us the strength to withstand our brokenness and he gives us mercy when we fall short. He has the ability to reconcile and restore relationships that have been broken And that's what he calls us to. And that's what he gives to us. So my brothers and sisters, there's something not just special about the Christian family. There's something that is absolutely foundational that we as families of faith are meant to radiate the life and love of Christ and manifest the reality of God, the blessed Trinity, into our world of relationships. Okay, that's a long wind-up to say, what does the world need right now? The world needs a way to overcome division, closed-mindedness, prejudicial hostility towards each other. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just open up Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Uh, My generation, it's it's still on Facebook. I, I barely go on there, but when I do, I still see it. Pretty much every time, pretty much every time, anytime there is a long, well, there's a post that maybe quotes an article or references some current event, especially political events or political figures, you know, take your, take your pick. You know, it can be Trump, it can be Republicans, it can be Biden, it can be Democrats, it can be the war in Ukraine, it can be policies about take your pick. And you will have people come on there and comment. And and you know what I'm going to say, right? I don't even have to spend a lot of time with it. It's a simple thing. People absolutely convinced, I'm right, you're wrong. And not only are you wrong, but you lack any intelligence if you believe that position. How can any thoughtful person think that that's correct? You are absolutely confused, misguided, and I have no idea how you could call yourself a thoughtful person if you accept that. That is so patently a lie, a mischaracterization, and a manipulation uh, of your thinking. It's propaganda, right? And who's saying that? The answer is both sides. Both sides are 
firmly convinced, absolutely certain, no hint of a doubt, I'm right, you're wrong. That's the end of dialogue. That is the complete opposite of dialogue. Now, I mentioned just before the break in the late 90s as I was, the internet was just starting to bloom and blossom. And I began to just, you know, see and experience some of the, the capacity that the internet was going to open up to connect people around the world in a whole new way. I proposed the idea that the third millennium would be a millennium that ought to be marked, needed to be marked, that was called to be marked by dialogue. That dialogue would be the catchword of the 21st century, the third millennium. And uh, I can remember feeling that in my bones, just so complete. Now, part of it was, of course, because I was spending so much time immersing myself in the philosophical writings, the pre-papal theological writings, and then the papal teaching of St. John Paul II. And I had just become immersed in his incredible insights into the person as gift and the concept of the communion of persons and of dialogue and of dialogue in action. Do you know what he calls dialogue in action? Uh, philosophically, he calls it participation. That is, we are called upon to act together with others. But the theological word that became popular, remember now, St. John Paul II was a, uh, a Polish bishop and then archbishop, was the word solidarity. That dialogue in action is solidarity. And I just was, you know, was just given the, the incredible gift of being able to explore what he had to say about the profound nature of the human person made to be in this sense of communion with other human beings in speech through dialogue, and then flowing from that dialogue, collaboration, but collaboration in its more, uh, let's say, uh, meaty, profound word was solidarity. Because collaboration can mean working together. Solidarity means standing together, standing together in the work that we're doing. And I just had this conviction that said, as we become more more capable of accessing the thinking and the voices and the culture and the beliefs and the, uh, the just the 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 wider world through the internet, uh, through this back then it was the information superhighway. It was about communicating information until it then became about the social network, the ability to connect each other. And then from there, it became about 
the ability to participate or the eventification of the internet. That's where we're at now, this idea of being able to impact each other and, and, um, and be involved in each other in a way that th- there's something really at stake in the moment. So in, in this world, I just had this conviction. We have to learn how to dialogue. We must learn how to express solidarity. And, you know, John Paul II was really, talk about a profound witness of this. You look at what happened in Poland with the solidarity movement and then the breaking down of the the Steel Curtain and the the Berlin Wall and, uh, you know, this openness, this breaking open of, of the world in a lot of ways. Well, here we are 30 years later, and let's just say we're in a terrible place. We, we are in a terrible place in the last, I, I want to point to, you know, 2016 with the election of Donald Trump and what happened since then in the last seven years has been a downward spiral into prejudicial hostility towards the other. The other is now no longer a dialogue partner. The other is now no longer someone with whom I share a common humanity. The other is now no longer someone that I should acknowledge as having dignity and worth and has a sense of, I want to be open to hear you. No, there's a a dismissiveness. There's a disgust. There is a, uh, a complete sense of, I can... Uh, I can twist whatever I want in order to have you embrace my position, even if it means just lying and twisting and manipulating the end is justifying the means. This is the world that you and I are living in. Are you feeling happy right now about this world? And all this is connected to last week when Carrie and I were at an event, and she was like, do you realize how you came across in public to me in that moment? And I'm like, no, I didn't. And she's like, well... Sometimes that, that's a pattern we have when we're in the house, and now all of a sudden you had it out in the, in the public setting. And do you realize that there are people that witnessed that? And it wasn't even a terrible thing, right? But it was one of those things that it says, oh, yeah, that's, that's ugly. That's not, that's not who you are to me, and that's not how, what I think about you. It was, it was a pattern, and it's like, I don't want to settle for that. And yet we settle for this prejudicial hostility towards others. And it's tearing apart the fabric of our society. God has an answer. The Lord does have an answer. And the answer is family. Did you hear that? The answer is the Christian family. The Christian family is the answer to the division, the incapacity to have a dialogue that is present in our world today. I tell you, the answer is the Christian family. Why? I'll break that open for you after this break. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnes of Faith and Family Friday issue. Issue. It's not an issue. It's a program. It's a theme. And yet, well, there's a lot at stake in this, right? We want to get this right. I said something pretty big just before the break, and that was, we all, if we're, if we are at all engaging in uh, in in media at all, social media, news media, or even in any kind of social group, 
the I'm right, you're wrong, the I'm actually brilliant, you must really lack all intelligence. <laughs> There's no way that you have any hint of what is correct, and I am clearly convinced that my position is right. That That's death to dialogue. It's also death to debate. Right? The difference between dialogue and debate, debate is about having ideas compete and having ideas uh, be challenged and, and presented. Dialogue is about respecting people, people who hold ideas, people who hold positions, and this sense of being open to each other. I, I, I made this claim that the antidote, the solution for the major divisions and divisiveness in a propaganda-driven society with a lack of openness towards each other is the family. Why? Because in the family, we learn to be open to each other. In the family, we learn, especially in the Christian family, and a family that's marked... What's the difference between a family and a Christian family? I already said it before. The Christian family is marked by the spirit of the living God in each of our hearts, and that means there's faith, hope, and love that is operating in our lives that connects us to God and then opens us to each other. It means that there's grace, grace that is strength to do what we ought to do, and mercy, the favor to help us overcome when we hurt each other and when we're hurt by each other. You see, the spirit of the living God is going to prompt us to act in ways and give us the strength to act in ways that go beyond what is humanly possible, especially possible for a fallen human being, a broken human being, a wounded human being. We learn to love each other sacrificially, to give of, give of ourselves for the other, not for ourselves, but for the other, and to empty ourselves even sacrificially and find life in that, find joy in that. That's a supernatural thing. That is not a human thing. And when we do that well in our own homes, we will be salt, light, and leaven. Salt, light, and leaven. Salt will bring a new flavor to conversations that happen in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, on the sidelines, next to other families on teams, in 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 our church, right? It's not this the church is not immune to this, right? You talk about the synod on synodality, you talk about the the figure of Pope Francis, and, and you have immediate division, immediate division, with again, for all intents and purposes, no capacity to have any sense of dialogue or even debate. Because everyone's right in their own in, in their own fixed position. It's terrible. We have to go back to the basics, back to the foundation, back to the root of it all. Uh, and, and I think about it this way. I think that, for instance, uh, a man will learn to be more open to each other, another man and, and who holds a different position. If that other man and he are both suffering, especially as it's associated with their kids, or their spouses. When there's something truly tragic or a trial that is happening in someone's life, circumstance, all of a sudden those other things that seem to be so important in the moment, they just wash away. They just wash away. I want to give you an example. Uh, Medical Lake Fire, the Medical Lake Fire that swept through there, I don't know, was it a month ago? It just was devastating, and you don't get it till you see it. Devastating. 
Again, I was contacted by a couple that, by the grace of God, was prompted to to leave the house. They were going camping, so they had camping gear packed away. Half an hour after they left their house, their phones started blowing up with phone calls. Get out of there. Get out of there. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they said, "There's the fire is about to hit your, your, your neighborhood, your area. And a half an hour after that, their entire neighborhood uh, at, uh, on Medical Lake was just devastated, destroyed. Well, I came back. I, I, had the, I had the blessing of being able to be invited to go and be with them on the site of where their home was, and there was nothing left. And, and to pray with them. I just went to pray with them, and, uh, and in praying with them, uh, they, and they, I got connected with them because they're like, well, we've got no house. We literally have no house. We have nothing. And they literally had nothing except the, 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 the belongings they had put into their car. And they said, come and just pray with us. Pray with us over our land, over our property. And people showed up. People showed up to help them pick through and get like wood dragged into piles so that it could be cleaned away. And they said that the one thing that was common among the, all the volunteer groups that showed up to give, to give various kinds of aid and support, food and drink and other volunteer support, the one thing that was common, the one thing that was common among all of these volunteers is that they came from a diverse set of religious groups, all faith-based groups. Are you tracking with me? And, and what was so striking was, was that they, they were at that moment, they were salt, light, and leaven. They were there to help lift up the broken. They didn't care if those they were helping were people of faith or not. Did they go to the same church or not? That, that in fact, the people that showed up and that were helping when I got there, they'd never met them before. They, they, just, they hadn't even met them. They just, these people showed up and they said, um, our local church found out that there was a need for volunteers to show up and help clear through debris. We're here. What can we do? And that was so moving to me. Where did they learn that? Family. Family. The, the church is the family of God, but the church is a family of families of God. The, 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 the family is the fundamental cell of society, right? That's the, the teaching of the church, the original cell of social life. And so when we in our own homes, when we in our own homes are fostering a sense of dialogue and solidarity, did you hear that? When we in our homes are manifesting that communion of persons, and we are able to overcome the brokenness that marks our own interrelationships, because we're not perfect. We hurt each other in speech, in word, in deed, uh, in, 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 in attitudes, in, 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 in avoiding things, right? All of that stuff. But God's grace gives us redemption. He redeems it. He sets us free. Then all of a sudden, what happens? We carry that spirit outside. We carry that spirit outside as indiv- individuals and as families. I think about Carrie's family. She has so many stories about that spirit of her family became this fundamental cell of society where her mom had this very strong sense. And I just want to say hi to Mary Margaret and to Christine. I love Christine and 
Her daughter Lily is over here studying. She's at our house, and we love having Lily at our house studying. And um, and Carrie had a chance to go back and visit her mom and Christine. But there was a sense of saying, we must, we must, we who have been given so much of the Spirit of Christ, that Spirit isn't meant to be kept in our own home. We must go forward. We have an evangelizing. We have a missionary task, teaching of the church. We must go forward. And so they would go to uh, nursing homes. Nursing homes where so many older folks were left abandoned. Left abandoned or rarely visited. And they delighted to see a bunch of kids show up just to be with them. Salt, light, and leaven. Welcome back to Sun and Sight. This is Tom Karn. This is Faith and Family Friday. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about the faith of a Christian family meant to be salt, light, and leaven in a world specifically because in a Christian family, in a home that is marked by a living faith in Jesus, will be called upon not to settle for less than anything other than a communion of persons, a union together with. And that's going to mean being open to each other, being reverent and respectful for the way that God is at work in the lives of each other, and recognizing that no one's perfect in our own homes, and that therefore we must learn to die to ourselves. Die to ourselves, not just call our loved ones to die to themselves, but to be willing to be sacrificial in giving of ourselves. And I, I got to say this, men, you know, talking to you, there's a men's retreat coming up, and it's in less than a month, October the 20th, so the 20th to the 22nd. I, I, I'm going to figure out the dates. It's the Inland Northwest um, Men's Conference that's coming up, and it is um, happening at... Um, uh, Luther Haven, Camp Luther Haven. I, I'll get you the information uh, in a moment, but uh, I'll be giving a talk on Friday night. I got to warn you. So the talk I'm giving on Friday night, I have a mission. And the mission is, after hearing my talk, the men ought to feel called to go to confession. <laughs> I like that. That's a mission. You know, typically they, they say, hey, here's a theme for you to talk about. Uh, this one is a little different. I don't have a theme. I have a mission. My mission is, they said, Tom, after your talk, we have time to go to confession. And so give them a talk such that at the end of the talk, they need to go to confession. I'm like, all right. So for the last month and a half, I've been taking notes. <laughs> I've been praying about this talk, about what to say to men to, I don't know, uh, be a, a vessel that convicts that stings consciences. So guys, if you're coming to the uh, Inland Northwest Men's Conference, you might want to miss the first talk. You might want to show up late because it's it's not going to be an easy talk. It's going to be a, uh, a difficult one, a, a challenging one. And, and you know what? That Let's let that be okay. Right? Let's let that be okay. So the Inland Northwest Catholic Men's Retreat, it's I-N-W, Inland Northwest, uh, Northwest INW Men's Retreat, Inland Northwest Men's Retreat dot org. So that's the website. That's the website. Father Lewis is speaking. Uh, he's he's going to be celebrating Mass and speaking. I'm also again just speaking on Friday night, and I think I'll be back on Sunday for a sort of Q and A panel 
The main speaker is Dale Alquist. He's the president of the uh, G.K. Chesterton Society and uh, also involved in the uh, Chesterton Academy network of schools, um, which is growing around the country. I think they have around 50 high schools in the U.S. and, and beyond. And um, I love that. I think that that's just really awesome. So he'll be out to, to give several talks in the course of the retreat. And uh, I, I would love to have you guys come on out and be there for the retreat. Uh, it's happening on Friday, October the 20th, begins in the late afternoon at Camp Luther Haven, which is it just, just on the very southern portion of Coeur d'Alene in northern Idaho. And it continues to Sunday around the middle of the day. And so uh, it begins at 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock is sort of check-in and all of that uh, on Friday. And it continues on until Sunday noon. Father Lewis and I will have a chance to talk more about the retreat um, as we come in, uh, as we come out. Oh, yeah, there it is. Confession, 4 to 7, 3 hours of confession. Okay, man, I better... I better generate three hours worth of confessions out of this talk. <laughs> Actually, I, I can tell you what I'm going to do. Um, I feel called to share a bit about my own examination of conscience. What do I feel convicted about in my own journey of faith so that it's not me pointing fingers and saying, you're bad. Uh, you know, you, I wish you were all were as holy as I am and you're bad and you better go to confession. I'm going to be sharing much more about the convictions that I've had in my own life where I need to repent, where I have fallen short. And as a result of that, how am I striving to live for God and overcome a lethargy, a settling for less? So I think that uh, if, we can, if we can garner some of that spirit in our own home life, not settling for less, not living in a way that's selfish, not living in a way that is for ourselves, but having that sense of a communion of persons that we're called to, that will overflow. That will, it will truly and beautifully overflow into the wider circles where we can influence. And honestly, I think part of what will happen is that we'll just spend less time on social media that's a waste of time and lacks a capacity to really foster dialogue and solidarity. And we'll move more fully into the world. I think that there is, well, there's a, um, I think that there is a hidden poison that comes from those portals of pollution called smartphones. Yes, a portal of pollution that it diminishes our capacity to pay attention, which we know. And because it stimulates the, uh, the, the, uh, that pleasure center of our brain, and it gives that little hit of dopamine, that it diminishes our capacity to be silent and being still. And I, I'm going to uh, something I've said before on Sound Insight, and you won't get it till you experience it. You won't understand the power of this or the truth of this or the goodness of this or the beauty of this until you actually experience it. And that is being silent together as a family. Being in the same room and being silent. Having quiet times together. 
I didn't say go to adoration. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't go to adoration, but I'm saying to you, if you have these quiet times as a family, it's going to actually lead to a richer sense of openness and disposition, a greater sense of readiness at a natural level to the supernatural encounter that is available to you in the silence of adoration, being in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. I'm telling you, for years, Carrie and I did this with our kids. Quiet times, where the kids would sit quietly together, and they weren't busy reading, coloring. They weren't busy like, uh, like listening to music together. No, it was learning to be still, learning to be open, learning to be receptive, learning to be led inward. And one of the greatest and most beautiful fruits that I became aware of was when my kids would come out of a time of being silent together. And that was 30 minutes. And trust me, when you have nine kids sitting quietly in a room for 30 minutes, that, that's a pretty Herculean task. But when it became a habit, the kids would flow into it, not perfectly. It wasn't, it wasn't some, some supernatural, well, I mean, God's grace was involved. But here's the thing. The kids were open to each other. The kids had a greater capacity to receive each other. Did you hear that? Coming, coming into quiet times, there was often a frenzied quality, a frenzied, busy, distracted quality. But having the kids come and be still, quieting them down and being still, at the end of that time when we would then say, okay, now we're all done, and they would go running off, there was a sense of freedom to enjoy each other, to laugh and play together, to be able to interact together in more life-giving ways. It was a community of persons. It was a communion of persons. And I tell you, you know, here we are, 10 years removed, kids are out of the house for the most part, away at school and all of that. When they come together and they have that sense of openness to enjoy each other and to be able to talk together in respectful ways and and to not be snarky and mean and harsh and belittling together, there's a portion of that, a meaty portion of that, that was traced back to those quiet times. So you're not going to read it in a book. You're not going to hear it in a parenting talk. It's not something that gets promoted because, you know, very, very few parents think about it or have ever tried it. But it's a long haul. This is the long investment of sowing seeds in your kids' lives of what it means to be a communion of persons. And it's having that contemplative attitude of being still, just being still in front of each other and of the wider world around them. And that disposes you at a natural level to being open at a supernatural level to God. Grace builds on nature. The family, that'll be the way that God changes and heals the world. God bless your day.